And welcome to another episode of Impressions of America. I'm Simon, and with me, as always, is Toby. Hi, Toby. Hi, Simon. And with us today is a friend of the show, at Judge underscore 234, otherwise known as Tail. Hi, Tail. Thanks for joining us. Hey, hello. In today's episode, we're going to look at the 2018 film Vice, starring Christian Bale as former US Vice President Dick Cheney. The film, written and directed by Adam McKay, also stars Amy Adams as Dick's wife, Lynn Cheney, Steve Carell as Donald Rumsfeld, and Sam Rockwell as George W. Bush. The film jumps about in time and follows Cheney from his youthful misadventures to his rise in the Republican Party, including working in the Nixon administration, and then on to the Bush years, both pre- and post-election win in 2000, which of course includes the 9-11 attacks and the Iraq War. What do you say? I want you to be my VP. I want you. You're my vice. Well, George, I, uh, I'm the CEO of a large company. And I have been Secretary of Defense. And I have been White House Chief of Staff. The Vice Presidency is a mostly symbolic job. Uh-huh. However, if we came to a uh, different understanding I can handle the more mundane jobs but we're seeing bureaucracy military energy and uh, foreign policy yeah right I like that when you have power people will always try to take it from you always are you even more ruthless than you used to be? do this thing or what? I mean, is this happening? I believe we can make this work. <laughs> Hot damn. Toby, can I start by asking your overall thoughts on the film and the depiction of the main characters in the story? Well, I, I, I found this to be in some ways a quite gripping satire of Cheney's life it's obviously not like narratively quite linear it jumps around it it it, and and more than anything else is this sort of an essay defaming Cheney uh, as opposed to like a biography of Cheney Mm -hmm. you know they they use a lot of cuts of you know rendition a lot lot of cuts of torture a lot of cuts of you know sort of like the 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 plague and the pestilence that arrived because of Cheney's uh, tenure as the vice as vice president, and I I think that in some ways it's almost like a Michael Moore documentary. Yeah. But told from the perspective of the narrator, who comes in and goes out of the movie, and 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 for me, 
if I'm being honest, it was it was a little confusing. Mm-hmm. And I'm this is I'm this is trying to work out why Adam McKay took this particular route to make a film about Cheney when he could have used you know. <laughs> Uh, Christian Bale's great talents as an actor and the other actors in his movie to deliver an equally biting satire without, you know, having to sort of do all the work through his editing and and with uh, Jesse Plemings. So yeah. And tell your thoughts. I uh, you want me? You want my opinion of the film, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. Um. So, uh, I just, yeah, it was all right. It has its moments. Um, I mean, I can get into detail about the whole, uh, the, uh, situation with Iraq and the, uh, like the business and things, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, cause it, it actually kind of goes into detail about, you know, it switches around with like the whole Enron scandal. Like there was a suggestion with the Enron scandal, his connection with the Enron stuff. And then later on to like, you know, Halliburton KBR contracting, um, which I think is was significant and something I directly observed in in Iraq, um, serving in Iraq. Uh, you know, uh, you know, some KBR contracting also happens in Afghanistan too, as well. But um, okay, but but let, let me just like my opinion of the film is just like okay, yeah, it's it's just it's just grilling uh, somebody easy to grill. In like in 2019 America, you know, we had Obama for eight years, and then now well now it's in the age of Trump, but. Trump is kind of, you know, he was supposed to be more of like that populist, you know, like the anti-neocon candidate, right? And then it, it just, I mean, that, I mean, okay, you you could reserve your opinion whether or not that's true or not, but you know, there is in America, there's that um, feeling in the air, like you know, like Iraq was, you know, it was wrong, it was wrong war to get into, it was fucked up, and then um, so it's kind of easy for a film to come out like that. For you know, for Vice, just to really grilling it into Dick Cheney about what he's done, um, and uh, I, I just, I just didn't try to like have like a, uh, like I, I don't know, just like a knee jerk, like eh, you know, just, just oh, what right, I don't know what the white right words to say about being critical about all that, just but um, yeah, but, I, so, I, I guess, I guess my kind of thoughts on um. So as Toby, you were saying about the kind of confusing use of um, uh, Plemons as the narrator, I don't know whether that's because McKay saw him, saw Cheney as purely the subject of the film and not the heart of the film, and maybe he struggled to actually fully understand the, the character itself and used, and instead wants to kind of stand a bit further back. And the fact that the, the narrator of the film essentially is uh, a sort of a victim of the decisions that get made by these types of people. I'm I'm assuming that McKay wanted to distance himself from having Cheney actually sort of dictate the film, but obviously it, it's kind of a bit too late on that because you know it's it's very much a Cheney film. It is very much. Oh, you know, I mean, I I want to add it. He does obviously try to like maybe not demonize him too much but there is definitely like that nature of villainy going on and then i don't know what was that scene there in bed with his wife he's in bed with his wife and he's like he starts like reciting that weird like was it's it the shakespeare? shakespeare yeah it's yeah was it Mac- 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 like was it Macbeth or what was the lines from like which play 
I'm not actually sure. I'm not. I much don't know if it was even what from a play. I think it was all just like Shakespearean esque. Yeah, I'm not, yeah. I, not yeah. actually sure. Probably should, should probably should check that. But uh, yeah, it, it, that, that that's an example of how Mackay. Uh, he kind of throughout the film uses a lot of techniques to kind of throw things at the wall to basically try and present the film in a variety of different manners. I mean, there was a edited out scene where I think they had a, a dance uh, section in the film, a musical section of the film, which they cut out, which probably is the correct decision to be made. And I, I do kind of get the feeling watching the film that perhaps McKay was... Maybe he lacked confidence in trying to tell a traditional story and felt the need to kind of keep throwing in these devices to, um, uh, you know, this metaphors to do with fishing and being able to kind of reel oh, George I, I gotta, I gotta, I think it was, it was more like a Hollywood Democrat jerk-off of a film. So, <laughs> <laughs> and here's the thing, like, uh, I mean, there was that one segue where, um, for whatever reason, like, you know, uh, at the end of the movie, Okay, the bad people go away, like Republicans go away because Obama got elected. And and then, you know, they kind of show him almost being like a you know, a much more of a much more of a dove president, which he kind of was but kind of wasn't. You know, kind of kind of ignoring everything going on with the with the Syrian war and um things that were kind of transpired like foreign policy-wise during Obama during the Obama years as if he was like a t- completely anti-militant candidate. And and so and then and then you know you then the movie kind of segs segues into Trump coming into the picture and you know everyone kind of pissed off about that and you know it was it was just sending a message like okay you know the Democrats will always be doing the right thing while the Republicans are always fucking things up but I don't I don't really like and you know that kind of attitude made me kind of eh. well I mean I I suppose it is hard to when you look at things that uh, you know Obama with uh, all the drone killings and that kind of stuff it's not as if Obama himself was uh, kind of clear of any controversy when it came to war but I I, I guess I I guess it's it is a much easier target to hit Cheney and that lot when it when it comes to war especially when you see the depictions of like the 9-11 events and the uh, the the kind of essentially that being set up as a opportunity to uh, (laughs) you know take Saddam and invade Iraq and get their oil you know it very much was I, 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 I gotta agree with you. I just think it was like over, like I mean, when we when we when we rewind the tape back to like 2011, back in the September when back in September 11th, I was like I was like 14, 15 years old at the time, and um, it was like either my first second day of high school and the um, probably my second day in high school and as a freshman, and uh, yeah, I, I remember I remember September 11th happening, um, and within that two years we were invading. We were invading Iraq after Afghanistan. Um, I just felt like during that, uh, you know, and you know, Donald Rumsfeld, Dick Cheney, all those guys are in the movie, and they've all, um, and yes, they they were very guilty of virtually uh, being war profiteers. And I'm, I'm, you know what? I'm glad they took that shot at them with that way because it's true. It's that's what that's what happened. Um, you know, he becomes the CEO of Halliburton. He leaves, you know, he gets out of the government, but then he has his wife have all this stock in Halliburton, right? And that's kind of that's kind of what they show in the movie, and which re- which really did happen. His wife, you know, his, you know, he had relatives, and his wife still had um, Halliburton stock that you know increased exponentially. So just from pure profit perspective, when they earned that government contract during those wars, um, Halliburton, you know, quadrupled, triple, you know just exponentially grew as a stock which made them like millionaires overnight 
at the end of the day. Absolutely. I, yeah, we'll... yeah. I mean, to be honest, like, you're right. It's like, it's about Cheney as someone, like, who's seeking power. So, like, throughout the movie, he just, he just, he's, he just keeps on seeking power, but there's no ideology there. Yep. And I think it's, it, in some, some ways, it, it's almost like uh, the way the big short was, because the big short was about, like, this sort of, this need for, like, validation through finance. And then and you can see that Adam McKay was, he was, he was really giving us an essay there. The Big Short was almost like a PowerPoint presentation. And this movie as well is the same way. It's, it's a PowerPoint presentation about Cheney as opposed to a, a, a film about Cheney. But I, I do think that the fact that Cheney, and I think um, Taylor's right because he says that what this film shows is that Cheney isn't really, he doesn't really have an ideology. Mm-hmm. And completely lacking an ideology, the moves that he's making, he's making the moves for Halliburton. He's making the moves for like increased power in the the Republican Party. At the start of the movie, he 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 becomes a sort of a Washington intern, and like he doesn't even know the difference between the Democrats and the Republicans. He yeah. asks um, one of the other interns, like, oh, because like, he he likes Donald Rumsfeld, and Donald Rumsfeld's like. He's really interesting. He he seems to be someone yeah. that's powerful. And he's Cheney, so brash. Yeah. He's so brash. Yeah. And Cheney like talks to this guy and he's like, and the guy gets out a book and shows Rum, uh, Cheney that Rumsfeld is Republican. Like, well, that's what I am. You know? Yeah. And then Cheney, and actually in the beginning of the film, he's very meek. Mm-hmm. For some for some reason, the person who has like all the balls is Lynn Cheney. Absolutely, and it, it almost seems like she would have been president of the United States, probably authoritarian dictator. Like she, she was a like yeah. she would have been more of that Hillary Clinton figure. Like what, yeah, yeah, more the Hillary yeah, Clinton yeah. figure. And yeah, yeah, it's almost that period is like a, a lost period for so many potentially great, I guess you know, in in, in um, <laughs> great, <laughs> great and powerful rather than great, great and powerful yeah. women, you know. Like, <laughs> yeah, but yeah, I think that he doesn't really know. What the his politics are, he he gets into the White House and behind the door, him and Cheney are talking, just just having a friendly chat. And behind the door is Kissinger and Nixon, <laughs> you know, deciding about you know what the world will be. And it, it's, it's interesting thing that that Adam McKay has imposed Cheney as a non-ideological figure because I don't necessarily think that's true, because mm-hmm. Kissinger and Nixon had a view about the world. It was it was the the the, the realist view. They had a view that you know all these kinds of conflicts they were having in Cambodia and Vietnam, they needed to be sorted out by tactically um, sort of getting out of the fray with, uh, with, with your enemies. But mm-hmm. the, the Cheney and Rumsfeld view is, a, is the neoconservative view. It's the view that America is the sword and shield and, and it has a manifest destiny to, to change the world. Like that, that's, that was the core belief. But I don't think Adam McKay sees it that way and i i do think like with the big short with this as, as, as tail says it's like it is liberals imposing a view of the sort of need for power which which liberals don't really like on um on conservative actors and and it, it shows that liberals don't really believe that conservatives have a, a, an ideology yeah I, I think there's kind of two streams to the power side of it i think you're absolutely right about lynn cheney who is absolutely the driving force of that relationship, especially early on, where she's essentially 
she's got this drunk husband who is kind of dropped out of college and is heading towards being a nothing sort of person and she basically says you know like I'm not sticking around with you you know this is not some great relationship built on eternal love <laughs> this is you're going to make something of yourself and you're going to do what I can't do because I'm a woman and she almost kind of thrusts him into being a successful person which he then is able to take on and achieve throughout his years and we, we kind of come back again and again to Lynn Cheney being a driving force she isn't some meek housewife who is just kind of going along with it and is completely unaware of the reality of the world you know she is pro Nixon she is pro Halliburton she is you know everything that uh, that he is and more and then on, on the other other side of power you have what is quite an important aspect of the film, which is um, the dealing with um, the unitary executive theory. And uh, we have that introduced by um, Antonio um, Scalia, who's uh, presented as a, a young, handsome judge to begin with, which but, I know pissed him off. Um, I have a question. Do you, guys, are they, do you guys even know if they repealed any of this during the Obama years, or did they just keep the keep that kind of clauses and kind of, <laughs> you know, just... Uh, I, did they they, they, did, they didn't... They didn't re- repeal a lot of executive powers in the Obama years. There was a yeah. lot of continuity there, and it, and yeah. it, it is true, yeah. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, well, that, Obama famously said that you know he, in private, that he was great at killing, and that it, you know, he he complimented. Well, yeah, it's, it's, it's still going on. It's like the military-industrial conflicts is like still stronger than ever, and I think mm. we just had another debate. I mean, they sort of unveiled themselves again because um, you know there's this. I've been hearing these like weird like. I don't even want to use like very online speak right now, but I'm gonna to have to. But <laughs> this like boomer narrative of uh, <laughs> of like how uh, this, you know the military industrial complex has went has has gone away, or it's been very um, marginalized compared to all these all these other new industries. Um, and you know now people are kind of waking up. I mean, every with with stuff that's been leaked by Snowden and everyone else. Um, and uh, Yasha Levine having uh, released his book, uh, like Surveillance Valley, kind of exposing a lot of this stuff uh, about the, mil- the the relationship between the military industrial complex and Silicon Valley. Um, that's that's now being kind of unveiled now because uh, recently anyone could Google this now. Like uh, I, I think recently Microsoft won a ten billion dollar contract with the Pentagon mm-hmm. um, that was supposed to go to Amazon. And we're talking about the two biggest companies in the, like, you I mean, literally in the world, mm-hmm. right? Um, so there's this really weird, creepy, like, rotating door in terms of uh, def- defense surveillance, um, military, like, it, like Google making like maps for you know drones to blow up, uh, yep. international maps to like blow up those areas, problematic areas, and um, yeah, it's it's, it, it's never gone away. The Pentagon has a trillion dollar contracts like actually you know um there you know you know account irs comes up with a report saying the pentagon has a uh, trillion dollar error or like an unaccounted unaccounted for you know spending um cycle um and now people are kind of waking up to that the military industrial has never really left it's it's just it's been kind of compartmentalized and put away or at least kind of um put, put a sheen on things in terms of like more more innocuous um, spectacles. So to speak. yeah, I, I think you're definitely right with with the big short and with this, with the financial industry and with the military industrial complex. McKay does not critique the Democrats or, or how the Democrats have approached these issues. He, he's just, you know, he's just <laughs> being satire about the Republicans. 
Yeah, they're better at the cloak. Although I think maybe the like even even you know the uh, actually so I think we should actually recommend better movies than fucking Vice. (laughs) In terms of of these things that kind of he's kind of shining his light on. um, Mm -hmm. I mean, first off, I mean that was a good point. It was it's a fair point to bring up Enron, and then I think remember uh, people should remember the documentary for uh, Alex Gibney's. the smartest guys in the room during yep. the uh, Enron, Enron, the Enron Corporation, and it, you know, it was becoming like this house of cards that people just like, you know, governments all sort of stacked money onto, um, like expecting, you know, it was just going to be easy money to come in, and it becomes like this weird Ponzi scheme where, um, and and then you know, people just, and then you know, it, it finally gets exposed, and some people just ran away with a lot of money. Um, or and some people went to jail. Some people have their like reputations ruined, and as they as they should have because they were, you know, they're bad actors, so to speak. But then um, you have that one doc. Yeah, so you, you have that, and uh, there are you know it kind of ties into uh, the the Republican administration at the time during that, which kind of fucked over a lot of California, <laughs> like California taxpayer money, basically. Um, and so that's that's one documentary. Um, but my two, the two highlighted documentaries I recommend everyone should should actually watch would be uh, No End in Sight, which mm-hmm. came out in 2007, um, directed by Charles Ferguson, and uh, that really, but that goes much deep. This goes much deeper. at not not so much the private contracting end because there's two sides to this war. It's like really bureaucratic mismanagement, incompetence, and corruption, um, and and actually just pure cor- more more more. More in terms of corruption, you know, um, I would say corruption. I mean, more in terms of incompetence, not so much corruption. The the more like um, the side of corruption and the graft involved in the Iraq war um, was Iraq for sale. The war profiteers was like came out in 2006 by uh, Robert Greenwald, who happens to be. uh, uh, I don't think is he is he related to Greg Greenwald? I got to look this up, but yeah. (laughs) But that's him. That's also him. I don't know if he he might be uh, related to Greg Greg Greenwald the Intercept. But he wrote a yeah he he directed the movie um, Iraq for Sale: The War Profiteers. And you know it's the it's a simple scam. Although even Obama actually had this too. He had um he had you know, the whole reason why Solyndra was a scandal was just that um it just became this like renewable energy startup that um you know a lot of that won a lot of government contracts and it became a stock where it just it got you know. You got the the stock became artificially pumped, pumped. So the, the so the earliest investors, you know, made the most money out of it until it crashed. Um, like the same thing kind of happens with you know Halliburton. You just kind of you know you you get you have this privatized company and you pump so much money in in terms of government contracts, and uh, and also just uh, there's an exorbitant amount of spending involved um, because you know it's like a blank check war, and and then those who have interest in it who were early investors they just sell the stock away once it peaks and then it crashes you know once you say oh you know we're going to leave you know iraq or um we're just going to have to cut out cut our losses in iraq and just like you know and and these like types of contract deals and investments um now what i saw in now everyone who was involved in it and there's still a lot of people involved in contracting um, you, you know, you also, even you guys are Brits, so you guys even have like a British, um, you know, military industrial complex as well that mm-hmm. I don't think people really like don't talk about. I'm not, I'm not that familiar with it. I can't even talk about, think about names off the top of my head. Although I think like the, like the Blackwater equivalent of the British is like, 
like the G25 guy or something like that. I think that's what mm-hmm. they're called. You guys are all like, you guys are like all, Brits are really good at just their alphabet agencies. Like we have like <laughs> letter agencies of America. We have like FBI, CIA, and then you guys have like MI5, MI6, and then you have like G25 or some shit like that. So, <laughs> so that's how like the Brits kind of named their like ministries and bureaucracies. But um, regardless of that, uh, yeah, the, just the, uh, the, the you know you had Halliburton contractors like building stuff like uh, anything from serving cafeterias, building cafeterias in Iraq bases, or um, building what we call hooches that were like air conditioned like living spaces for troops that come in, and they would be like a million dollars or like like several million dollars. And then there's always this guy that was um, you know like middle managers that were getting paid like six figures to be a contractor in Iraq. Um, and they were making, they were just making lots of money. Like everyone involved was making some money. And then, but they would also, um, but then again, you know, what we also noticed, like, you know, like the cafeteria servers and janitors who were like cleaning after us sometimes, like, um, you know, uh, yeah, especially in these like service areas, like uh, chow halls that were built in Iraq, uh, the, the, the workers were from, th- you know, we called them TCNs, third C- country nationals. Um, uh, they were from India, uh, Kashmir, sorry, um, like the Nepalese contractors. And apparently they were just making like um, a few hundred dollars every month being in a war zone like Iraq. But they were our, you know, they were like, like menial, like menial contractor workers that were either cleaning or serving food. Um, and it might not sound like a lot, you know, they were like being maybe paid like a thousand dollars a month or something like that. Um, in these places, but it was like a lot of money for them, you know, to send back home, basically. Um, and so you you had you had these situations where like you you know you work in these really shitty buildings, but they were somehow like taxpayers would pay, like the government contract, you know, that was that somehow costed like seventy million dollars. So it took like a, like less than a million dollars to build, and someone was pocketing like six million dollars, you know, that kind of shit. And you had that with like the middle management as well, and then you had the lower guys that were just making pennies. So we're kind of touching on on the the aspects of the film that look at uh, Dick Cheney and his war on terror and the <laughs> the the Iraq years. Uh, perhaps you could just give us some kind of context then for yourself and your own experience with with America and with how maybe the media portrayed uh, the events after 9-11 and your kind of involvement in that? Well, okay. Um, like after 9-11, it was like, okay, we got into, okay, we had to go to Afghanistan. That was like a given. We had to go to Afghanistan, overthrow the Taliban, and find Osama bin Laden. By that point, I was like, I don't know, I think Saddam, I think, I think um, Osama bin Laden was like, uh, was finally killed off by Navy SEALs in what, 2011? Like, yeah, it was, it was under Obama, yeah. yeah. Under Obama, it was 2011. Um, and I still remember explicitly um, how people would have really wanted to, uh, like, you, it was revenge. People wanted revenge, mm-hmm. um, basically, over, over 9-11. And they basically looked at Saddam Hussein. Um, also, being a threat to Israel was, like, openly debated. I don't know why people kind of think it's like, this is like a secret agenda after all these years, it was openly debated. You could watch all those C-SPAN discussions where, you know, hey, it's a threat to Israel. We should totally go in. And people all just kind of reading, like, yeah, you know, Saddam Saddam was probably hiding um, weapons of mass destruction or anthrax or any of that stuff. But it was, 
you know, people were always kind of alleging he was going to build nukes or something like that. But regardless of that, you know, people just looked at Assad, Saddam Hussein at the time as like Osama bin Laden wearing a beret. <laughs> you know, it was the kind of played yeah. on that in, in, ignorance. All the you know that he was, yeah, he was a Sunni, he was a Sunni Arab dictator um, who oppressed his uh, like most of his like sh- like Shia citizens. But you know, um, I mean, yeah, we could all get into the politics and like more of the nuanced politics of that and the studies involved in that. But um, so people wanted to come. Um, people, there was there was there was a public support for it. I feel like growing up as a kid, and well, I, I was. They I was showed that in Vice, that. didn't they? Where they had basically uh, they had people kind of sat around in a room as a focus group, saying, you know, basically testing what what's an easier pill to swallow. You know, they basically did. They didn't. They wanted revenge. They, in the film, they kind of show people sitting around saying they basically wanted revenge and they want to sort of kill people, but they're not quite sure who to point the gun at. And it's it's easier if you have a country to invade and kill rather than just saying it's some sort of cloak of islamic terror or something like that and i think the film tries its best to basically say americans at that time wanted a clear target to go and kill and saddam hussein in iraq was a clear target for them to to go and get yeah. revenge on. but there was it was a clear i mean the, the the real clear target was afghanistan and over trying to overthrow the ta- ta- taliban and finding saddam it turns out you know he was he was hiding in Pakistan. He, you know, soon after 9/11 happened, he was he was just on his way to Pakistan and hid out there. Um, who, you know, who was our also our dear ally in the Middle East as well. And mm-hmm. but um, but yeah, I just, I just remember that feeling the year um, when it happened. Uh, you know, and I had com- you know we had conflicted stories. Um, that stuff about 2004. This was all abstract to me, and I, I, you know, I was, I felt really out of place with it. But wait, because... wait, tell, how did you get into it? Because we, we see Colin Powell here, and that, you know, he's deciding with Bush allies and Bush operatives whether or not to do this, and and he's conflicted. Then he goes to the UN and he gives that speech. Did were you convinced by Colin Powell? Um, when I watched, I was watching that scene. I just didn't, I just didn't care. I just try to remember what I was feeling at the time, which was I was like a teenage punk kid. Um, I was more interested in, you know, girls and trying to get high or something. So, but <laughs> and like this was all kind of like, you know, as yeah, this was all esoteric to me. It was, it was just a blip on the screen. It wasn't like, you know, it, everything was part, part, part like, uh, yeah, it, it, it was put away. You know, because in, in in high school, it was kind of a big deal. But then I wasn't. But it it was something that was kind of not not in everyone's priorities. And that's the, actually the kind of the reason why a lot of veterans are bitter. It's because most of America is still, you know, there was that saying, you know, America's not at war. America's at the mall. The American military is at war. And you know, but I think that well, was because um, was it Nixon who ended the draft, right? So there was yes. Once yeah, he ended yeah. the draft, he would split the population away from their, their soldiers, so you could have wars like this. Yeah, from seventy. Yeah. From seventy three to seventy four, we we ended the draft and uh, we became an all volunteer force, and that's kind of like the um, and conveniently enough, you know, like uh. So, uh, the first Gulf War, when the first Gulf War happened in 1990, it started out in 1990, Bush came off that plane and was like, something like, this is 
don't know, something unacceptable. He got off like the Air Force One and he just said that stuff on camera. And then we were next thing you know, that was that was a policy decision right there. He was he couldn't, you know, he could have just not kept not not gone into Kuwait and maybe lost a lot of face, but he didn't. He got he got into he got sent the troops to Kuwait, kicked the Iraqis out. And then um things things in Iraq have been kind of bad ever since with sanctions or just being like a you know the international pariah at the time. But um and again, this was me, but that was like me during the nineties as a kid. I was you know, I had to study all this crap at UCLA. But um but uh let me try I mean sorry, I'm just being kind of tangenty with, with this, but sometimes it can get that way in terms of Middle East talk. But uh so can you talk us through the events of you actually signing up to join the army and your oh, kind of deployment over there? Marines, Marines. Um, so okay. um, when I was, uh, you know, in high school, I, I, I really struggled with, with wanting to do the college life. So, you know, um, yeah, I was always pretty good at school. And, um, but I was also a really wild kid going to punk shows and stuff like on the spare time or um, I was smart, but I also caused some trouble. I, and, uh, and, you know, I thought um, like the Marines was kind of like a different path for that. I also did like, I probably, I may or may not have done like uh, LSD and had freaked out and did that. It was like a weird arbitrary decision. I swear to God, this is totally true. So this wasn't, so then I enlisted in like uh, 2005 and went out to boot camp in 2006. So this was like three years after um, we invaded Iraq, and um, by 2007 to 2008, I was out there, and I uh, spent several months in Iraq and basically saw um, a lot of graft, a lot of weird shit. Um, um, Can you explain kind of the what what was your kind of knowledge of the? kind of of the situation prior to going over there and you know what was your immediate reaction when you actually got there and how did that change over time of actually being in the marines and spending time on the ground yeah i mean um i was more into like a lot of leftist literature in terms of the like the war commentary when i was um when i was in i mean before i was even in um and i I don't know i kind of had like this like i had some second thoughts actually like meeting um you know vietnam vets and like iraq war veterans coming back and, um, you know, the curiosity got the best of me because I started really doubting what, what a lot of left-wing sources are saying. Um, I mean, also maybe not completely accepting the right-wing narrative, but, you know, there was, like, there was choice in between. But, um, but like, when I went, when I went to Iraq, it, it really, but it still ultimately made, ultimately made me a very cynical person, especially in terms of, like, democracy and, um, um I guess what we were doing out there, I just, um, I didn't kill anyone. Um, we weren't building schools either. We weren't, we weren't killing babies nor building schools either. So I, the story, the story is less boring with like, you know, what my Iraq experience was. It wasn't like the Haditha massacre, but, um, more like, uh, it's just sort of kind of being someone who comes along after the chaos happened, you know, um, I've had to clean up dead bodies. I have to, I never had to shoot anyone, but I've to, I've had to bag and tag bodies. Mm-hmm. But, but being involved there, did, did did you feel that it was driven by the, the you know the other people in the Marines around you? Did you feel that they were driven more by ideology or by the 
you know, like the Halliburton contracts as a chance to make some money. No, no, none of them. No one was really like that, but we all wised up to it. It became something we kind of got wised up to about the money situation, about all the money going along around in war. But we were we were more like true believers than enlisted. We weren't gonna we weren't joining the Marines for the money. <laughs> like I don't think anyone should join the Marines for the money. Like it wasn't a lot of money involved, but uh, there was. But then you soon find out there's ways to make money, so to speak, in terms of like these government contracts kind of things and um, like military, you know, just being involved in the military industrial complex. Did you have uh, much dealing with contractors then? Like first time? We we dealt with contractors all the time. Our job was, um, our job, our, like in, I was set, you know, I was assigned to a task force in the Marines and our our main mission was either like uh, combat security and route clearance. And um, we had, we had, we would, you know, spot roadside bombs and call in, um, you know, Army or Marine EOD to like basically get a robot to like blow up an ID, like to check if it's an ID. And, you know, they're supposed to disarm the ID if they could disarm it. But, you know, the robot itself is like a million dollars. And like mm-hmm. what they, the robot they sent out is like, that thing's like fucking Wally. You guys know that movie? <laughs> yes. <laughs> like the ones, like the one that looks like, sto- like, sh- yeah, short circuit. Like just yes, exactly. The box rolling. on wheels. Yeah. Yeah, the box yeah. on wheels. Um, what they, instead of disarming it, what they usually do is uh, give the robot some C4 and right. then like send the robot out, put the C4 on the ID, and then just everyone just secure their area around it for like a few mi- like miles down and then just blow up the ID. You know, with the robot yeah. safely from a safe distance and yeah. that's you know uh, and you know you don't have to risk the thing is the robot's like a million dollars i mean i'm sure it could save roads and buildings but if the choice is to like like disarm it and maybe risk blowing up the robot we're just gonna blow it up right yeah you know? so the, the robot is kind of higher ranked than any buildings or cars or anything like that yeah right? yeah or, or yeah. rain that's or Marine, yeah, probably, uh, <laughs> I probably shit in a few more Marines or a million. So in the military, you, you, you sign what you call the SGLI, and the life insurance policy is half half million dollars, basically. Um, so, uh, yeah, that's the policy. If you get like, a flat sum to your loved ones or whatever, or mm-hmm. recurrent payments, um, but we all sign like a we all before deploying to Iraq, you know, they gave they they assigned us power of attorney final wishes like weird stuff like that that was kind of weird they'll tell you like yeah. do you have any final wishes when you if we something happens to you you'll get like a full full honored funeral you know and these are all expenses so it's you know they spend like half they'll they're willing to spend like half a million for your funeral mm-hmm. and then give you a half a million sum to um to your loved ones or whoever who's whoever is assigned on your life insurance contract yeah that's yeah. that's how much and the the your the robot itself is like rather like something that we've been told it was like a million dollars. So um, the robot will, uh, and I'm sure the parts of that robot. If you, you look at the robot, you know that shit. Like it probably has the same parts as much as like less than a car. Yeah. You know, <laughs> it's probably got like Xbox parts. You know, with some yeah the RVs, but it's like a million dollars apparently. So. So tell then after this, you you went to UCLA to study international relations. Wait mm-hmm. wait. Were you influenced by your experience in Iraq to study international relations? Yeah, yeah, I did. I, I wanted to like figure more things out. Um, and these are just more of the ideological reasons, um, the social problems within Iraq at the time that I observed. Um, because it was really a, like it wasn't really like Vietnam. Vietnam was more of like a, you know, 
it was clear and cut which side the Marines and you know U.S. the U.S. side was on in Vietnam. It was anti-communist and communists against the communists. You know, the anti-communists were working with the U.S. troops and and um, fighting against the communists. You know, in but the problem was in Iraq, it was like a three-pronged war. Mm-hmm. And actually, the greatest fucking video is. Uh, 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 I think it's either a C-SPAN ar- archive clip or an AP Associated Press archive clip of um, of Dick Cheney speaking in 1994, saying exactly like saying all the problems would have developed if like U.S. troops didn't just kick Saddam out of Kuwait, but to enter Iraq and overthrow him. He literally predicted everything. He says like, oh, it was gonna, it would have been like this terrible quagmire problematic you had the Kurds coming in it would be you know a shit show it would be a um, because there was like a Sunni and Shia divide already there and it would have been military coming in and they couldn't take a side if they wanted to establish democracy it was that's, just like one that's ethnic really war interesting because like one of the criticisms I have of this movie is that there's not enough exposition on the reasons why Cheney did specific things. There's a there's a mm-hmm. big idea of Cheney, you know, being power hungry and and making all these moves, you know, with his with Lynn Cheney and, and wanting to sort of go up the 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 scale in, in in the politics. But in terms of like decisions that he made for specific things, like decisions he made to go into Iraq, there was no real reasoning around any any of that. And and you say that Cheney was actually quite pessimistic about, you know, the chances in yeah. Iraq in the 90s. So what is the reason why Cheney went into Iraq? What what's he, what there, there he was, said? There was a political will after September 11th, first of all. Mm-hmm. There was a political will after September 11th. They, could, they took advantage of this narrative. They could hijack the narrative in 2001. After the planes hit the towers, Americans were angry. They were confused, like, what the fuck is going on? We got hit by terrorists. And say, oh, listen, the terrorists are probably in Iraq, and they're going to probably help Saddam make nukes or some shit. You know, and that, that engaged with a lot of people. That, that you know, that was some, that, there was a political will. You could justify moral rules for what's, you know, so to speak, to getting into Iraq. Um, that was one thing that he didn't have to, Fix the narrative for during the night. He didn't have in the nineties. He didn't have that in the nineties. Everyone knew it was for fucking oil in uh, during the Gulf War. You know, people just kind of knew, like, all right, well, this guy took over the oil field, so you guys got to step in, and kick his ass out. You know, that was it. That was really it. Because yeah, because in this movie, there's a real feeling of insecurity that you can see when they're doing the focus groups, where they're going into shooting in people's houses. The real feeling that Americans is genuinely scared. Cheney is the the one in control in the room who makes the decision. So yeah, there is that there's that opportunity that he expediently took ad- advantage of. But in terms but, of like, because you, you know you're international relations guy. In terms of like the constitutional, the, you know, like the things like the unitary executives. Like, uh, could you do you have any um, knowledge of, of, of no, the things that didn't. he used I didn't really, to increase I didn't, his power? I didn't know. I'll be the first guy to tell you. I didn't even hear about this shit. About the unitary executive and stuff like that, I was because I will I was studying more explicitly on international relations, right? In, mm-hmm. in UCLA, so I was more into the tribal politics of these regions, the Middle East, the history of the Middle East. You know, you know that includes like the Arab-Israeli wars and um, 
just like, you know, the over the Re- Iranian revolution and the Shah, you know, these are things I had to learn like a lot. And I, I still have to really even, even like maybe I would say much more of like a surface level understanding compared to it's still better than the average American. But, you know, I couldn't I still couldn't even do a deep dive on a lot of things or, you know, they don't really teach you um, like a lot of the dirty acts of the CIA. These are also extracurricular reading I can look up and verify. Um, but I, that is also very true. Um, now, for the, now the situation with Iraq, though, the weirdest thing when I served in the Marines was guys do t- guys did tell me, like officers did tell me, like, we've been setting up and preparing to invade Iraq, like, during the Clinton administration. You know, like, <laughs> stuff like that. They told us, you know, that was that was one really creepy aspect. Yeah. Of how, like, uh, like, all this planning to invade Iraq was was going on even before September 11th. Um, and to me, I think the, the I don't know exactly what, what the reasons are for that, but I would say that um, during that time, Saddam was so unpopular in the Middle East already because of like the Iran-Iraq war. Um, the Saudis hated him. Israelis hated him. Um, he was kind of like the odd man out in the Middle East like already at the time. So it was already easy to keep that narrative to when once September 9-11 happened with Osama bin Laden, um, like it was okay to house the Taliban at this point. But then um, like Iraq was, then it just became just so much easier to create, a, to um, to have a momentum and political will to, you know, have the public not so outraged over the Iraq war when it went over invading Iraq when it happened. Because of September 11th, yeah. But um, it's been it was planned. Like, if, if, like I've been told by officers that it, you know things, things have been planned for a very long time in terms of overthrowing Iraq. Now the thing is, though, um, he was so unpopular. You know the stuff where, like, you know, within like a like four weeks, they were they were in Baghdad and they they took down the statue and all those guys were like were like smacking the statue with like their sandals and. You know, mm-hmm. like the the Shia population who were mostly um, suffering, like under Saddam, as like kind of like the odd man out, like like in in terms of a, in terms of like a masses um, democratic movement. He was, you know, they were the last people to get jobs in the government. They weren't well, like uh, you know, they were discriminated against as Shia, um, and the Shia hated him. But the thing was, like, you know, we're getting into like more of like an alternative possibility here. But the thing is, like, what if, like, we didn't, what if we just didn't do that? What if we didn't go to Iraq? I'll tell you right now, though, it would not have been impossible to have gotten Iranian help, like, just aided Iranians to send um, armed um, Shias in Iraq to start a civil war, just like what happened in, in Syria, um, mm-hmm. or, the, or the Sunni side to then be armed as well, and, you know, starting death squads. It would have been torn everything apart. But the key thing is, like, you know, um, like the U.S. invasion, Marines entering in, sending the Marines in, sending Army in. The, it was much more of a, it's, you guys are, it's, it's much more of an accelerationist policy. I don't know if you guys are very familiar with the term. No. About no. Accelerationism, accelerationism, but it's, it's about, like, speeding up the process. I mean, it's speeding mm-hmm. up the process of what, what, what kind of would have been. Because I could have seen Iraq turn into Syria easily. Without U.S. inter, without like um, U.S. troops on the ground, yeah, so to speak. 
Um, what 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 the U.S. would have done though was um, basically give air support to any dissidents within Iraq to overthrow Saddam, because Saddam d- did have an air force that would you know that that would bomb cities or centers, civilian areas if they wanted you know if they um, if they felt like they you know they were going to lose the war so they had some air superiority, but like you know air force navy could have just shot those planes down, just from just from the Persian Gulf just sending their crew you know launching their uh, ballistic missiles from the fucking ships. Mm-hmm. And Saddam wouldn't dare attack them because if that happened, they would just like, they would send the Marines right in for that. But the, but the thing was, thing is, in terms of accelerationist policy, we secured the oil fields immediately when we invaded Iraq. Yeah, well, priorities, so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Um, th- so that's, um, I don't know, that's, I don't know, that's really interesting, y'all. Kind of, I didn't expect to get into this deep, deep end. Of the no, it, it's, it's, I mean, th- th- I mean, Toby and I are very good at kind of sitting in a room and talking about something that's thousands of miles away from us. But it's nice to actually have someone who actually knows about these things uh, from first-hand experience. So, um, yeah, thank you. you know, it's it's a definitely an interesting perspective. Um, just yeah. take, taking it back to the film, um, which at some point I think we were talking about before we got into your life story, which is fascinating. But um, if we take it back to the actual film Vice, um, Cheney is presented as essentially a master criminal or supervillain or I think... Um, when Christian Bale won a Golden Globe, I think he thanks Satan for giving him inspiration on how to play the, the character. Um, whereas George Bush is, a, is essentially a Texas version of Jar Jar Binks. He's just kind of like blubbling his way naively through one scene to another and he doesn't fully understand what's going on. I like, Sam, I, like, I like Sam Rackwell's performance. I really like that guy. I really like him as an actor. Yes, like he, he's an excellent film. actor. Yeah. Do you think that's a... Both of you, do you think that's a, a fair summation of the relationship? And do you think Vice is kinder on george w bush as essentially a naive idiot who has no idea what's going on or do you think no he's he's actually a lot i, I think a lot smarter than that people on and he was um but he played off that um you know uh kind of i don't know because uh, in the film he essentially doesn't really understand that he's giving away all his power to cheney and you know, he's, he's yeah. He's just busy biting off his fingers. You know. Oh, right. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, you should, you should read. You should read this thing by Carl Rove. There was. There, yeah, I don't know. You guys remember that website, RottenLibrary.com? Remember no. Rotten.com? No. no. The early days on the internet where they just showed like some dead bodies and posted dead oh, wow. bodies and Jeez. and like well there was there was the Rotten Library, and but they also had a very very interesting historical section. Um, of, of things time forgot, so to speak, and uh, kind of like a political side. And they actually did a post on uh, George W. Bush about how, you know, he's not as dumb as people kind of write him off to be. It's more or less to win votes or just to kind of, because Americans yeah, are more comfortable Bush was, with it. Um, he was trying to show that he was the guy you could have a beer with, right? Yes. yes. That, that was his appeal. But then, the, but then I mean, just, just as a counter-argument, Jeb was always set up to be president. <laughs> he was always the smarter brother. Bush <laughs> had, you know, struggled with um, alcohol and, and cocaine, you yeah. know, in, in his mm-hmm. life. He had become, you know, he sort of, um, you know, he, he got his life together in, in his 30s and 40s. Yep. But he, he was always considered to be the, the black sheep of the family. And that's what they yeah. show in Vice, isn't it? Yeah. On, where he's kind but, of but a, a like he, he, he inherited George's name. Yep. Jeb is a terrible fucking name. It is. <laughs> just like, ugh. It's a very unappealing name. It's a really it's shitty name. Jeb didn't even have the Texan accent. 
which yeah. is even funnier. He's also got a weaker chin and just a worse face. Like, at least oh, George, yeah, yeah. George Bush bad. looks like a human, kind of, sometimes. But yeah. Jed just looks like someone, like, has been asked to assemble what a human might look like, but without actually It's, it's kind of like, like, how, uh, like how Charlie Sheen has, like, all the breaks in Hollywood somehow. Right. <laughs> to the to, to point where he's HIV positive. But, you know, Emilio Estevez, you know, he hasn't gotten out of scandal. And look at his acting career now. Like, mm. holy fuck, that's his brother. But, uh... <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, like Jeb, like it, it's almost like an alien thing, like just a blob yeah. with an exclamation mark. <laughs> yeah, and and of course the the I, I mean, it's not really pertinent to this film, but I just can't help but laugh every time I think of Jeb. I mean, he is just this sort of sad, pathetic figure of you know the please applaud thing of when he was trying. I don't to... even remember was he was Jeb even p- portrayed in the movie? No, I don't think he was. I, I, that that kind of sums up Jeb to be but honest. But every time he was mentioned, it was like, oh, this is the one. He's the yeah. He's George uh, H. W. Bush's prize. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and then even Lynn Cheney, when Bush starts to run, she's like, oh, I, I can't believe they're putting that poor boy through uh, presidential election. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Now, uh, by the way, actually, in, in a related note, with, like, Sam, Sam's, like, George W. Bush in the movie, but yeah. Sam Rockwell also has, like, probably one of the best deleted scenes ever in, um, in like, it's actually in the movie, it's in the San Mendes film, Jarhead, that came out in, like, 2005. The Jake Gyllenhaal um, one? Yeah. Yeah, it's the one with Jake Gyllenhaal, and uh, Sam Rockwell is actually in a deleted scene in the movie that was supposed to be the introduction to the movie. So I recommend anyone going on YouTube to find it. It's for like the deleted scene in Jarhead and Sam Rockwell. And it's like, he comes in as a Jake Gyllenhaal's, the the character Jake Gyllenhaal plays as his, uh, as his uh, Marine uncle, gunnery sergeant comes in. And uh, yeah, it's a great scene that I highly recommend. Sam Sam, Sam Mendes cut it. And I also have some mixed feelings about the movie, which I think kind of got right, kind of got wrong, but. Mm. Oh, that's Sam Mendes. I'm very psyched for 1917, though. I yeah, that. That, that does look an interesting uh, trailer from what I've seen. Um, so going back to uh to, to Vice, then, do we is is there anything more to say about the relationship between George Bush and Cheney? I mean, we we had the film came out in 2007, the W film from um, from uh, Oliver Stone, and we had that kind of uh, we, we had a very set in stone. Uh, pardon the pun, of, of what George W. Bush was, and he was this, as you say, this sort of drunk cocaine addict of the nineteen, you know, of the nineteen eighties or whatever it was, and he turned his life around and essentially became sort of the 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 lovable idiot who's able to kind of connect with the mo- uh, with the ordinary guy on the street, but is unable to really put a cohesive thought together. He's, and... he's very he's very aware of politics in terms of the international sphere. I mean, if you were to look at photos of him with the Saudi royal family, you know, just like literally shaking and kissing each other in the cheek and holding hands with the Saudi king at the time. Um, I, well, I think he's still alive, but uh, uh, but it was like uh, Mohammed bin Salman's father, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, his dad was the director of the CIA for decades. He knows, like, you know, and then he was president of the United States. <laughs> but he always kind of became like this, um, he was able to portray himself as an outsider when he, when it was anything but in terms of DC politics. And yeah, that, that, that's also a disservice to, to what people should watch out for with DC politics. I mean, the liberals still brush George W. Bush off as this idiot that somehow managed to make it. But when in reality, it's like, you know, he was, 
there was he 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 was able to use some really weird oddball tools to you know win over votes, which really matters the most in American politics. That I think Democrats are very out of touch with that they come on come off cross. Well, I mean, it seems a lifetime ago that 2004, I mean, they were running on, you know, anti-gay legislation and all this kind of thing. You know, we, we have that in the film, actually, where Dick Cheney's uh, daughter, uh, Mary, is gay and c- c- comes out to uh, the parents. And oh, yeah. Dick is presented as being actually quite supportive of his daughter. And Lynn remarks that this is a kind of a negative for a kind of the political impact it could have. And then you have Liz Cheney who we see kind of later on basically disavowing um, <laughs> her sister and uh, gay marriage and that kind of thing. Um, is there, how do you think the film deals with that as an arc? Toby, do you have That's any, good. any Actually, it makes, him, it makes him more sympathetic, actually, just that he, you know, in his personal understanding, he wasn't, you know, he, he, he didn't like disown his daughter or whatever for being a lesbian, but yeah. just that, but, but in a sense, but he had to, sort of keep quiet about things in a cynical sense for political points you know i think someone said it's like it was like citizen kane like looking at you know rosebud and mm-hmm. um like he had he had he has a bit of humanity in him but yeah. actually if you look at the way it plays out he will you know completely jettison that for yes. his political ambitions and i think yeah. it, it is probably the best in terms of narrative arc, is the best part of the film that underlines this, like this theory that McKay has that Cheney is just a sort of sort of a political actor out for power, power, you know, untethered to any kind of principle or any kinds of beliefs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but would would Hollywood ever produce a movie about Clinton? Can you guys imagine something like that? Well, which which what which Clinton? Hillary Clinton. Clinton. I think that would be amazing. I think you could have a Clinton movie that would be amazing. Well, I think it would be less scathing. I mean, I don't think they would portray her as the devil unless it was actually. No, she she's like Nixon, really. (laughs) really She she will be Nixon because I actually believe she will run again in twenty twenty four. No, people forget that. No, 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 no. <laughs> the watch words was real. So, um, I think like, there's more chance of Nixon running in 2024. <laughs> no, Nixon. Well, Nixon. Remember, Nixon um, ran for president in 1963 against JFK. Yep, he lost. And then uh, it was they, 1960. Like, 1960. It was 60. 19, 1960. And yeah. sorry, yeah, 1960. And uh, that's when he was like, yeah, that, um, but uh, he, he was, uh, you know, he ran. He lost. And they, they kind of blame, you know, the first medium of TV, so to speak, mm-hmm. with um, with his loss, with how he interacted with the audience. And then he um, or he how he came off with the audience at the TV at the time. This was before social media. Um, but, you know, he did become president again in 1968. He actually became he would became a sec two term president. Yeah, but he was and, a young man in 1960, relatively speaking, whereas Clinton wasn't a, a young woman when she ran. Uh, yeah, I think ago. this is a this is a really interesting point that you bring up because I think that Clinton would be she would be prime minister of America. She would definitely rise to leadership in a prime ministerial setting. Mm-hmm. And Cheney, in many ways, is quite similar. I think 
his backroom dealings and things like that, taking the reins in those tough situations. He would be, but you could tell in this movie as well, it shows that Cheney was never someone that you could sell to the public. No. You know, he, he had been, you know, uh, he had some success in politics, but then he, you know, he checked his polls and he thought, oh, well, you know, the story about my daughter come out like he he could never have been a mm-hmm. popular figure. And he wasn't someone that was actually he, although he had the 13 percent, you know, approval rating after his awful uh, tenure as vice president. He he wasn't someone that was, was well, well known. And I think him and Clinton are quite similar in that way. She could have definitely been a kingmaker more than a king, I think. And I'm telling yeah. you right now, she's going to she's going to run in 2024. No, because they're saying like that Bloomberg might run or people are saying that, oh, they don't like Elizabeth Warren. They don't like Bernie Sanders. They think Biden's stupid or whatever. No, no, no. no. They're they're saying that she might she might run now, but she's not going to. And then in in four years, she's she's going to be like a centenarian. She's going to be 76 in four years time. So I I don't know. she, she, She wants it enough. I think she wants it enough to <laughs> to run again in twenty twenty four. She she wants Trump to win again <laughs> in uh, twenty in twenty twenty, and then everyone's gonna be, you know it's kind of like this whole Passover effect. I think um, the states the demographically will change anyway, so you you'll have a lot of states flip um, to blue states, and then ultimately like uh, Clinton will run again in twenty twenty four, and we'll try you know, um, and maybe she'll be she'll finally get. It. And then it may, and she gets to call herself president before she dies. So, like, you know, that's how I kind of look at things. Like, these are this is a wild bet that I have, but I'm willing to bet like five hundred bucks for it. Okay, Dude, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take you up on your five hundred bucks right here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Look for well, me said, on uh, Twitter. 20, okay, maybe twenty bucks. Okay, maybe not five hundred bucks. I don't know. That's the price <laughs> of Bitcoin. Whatever, we're the price of Bitcoin at the time. But um. Uh, okay, fine. I'll, I'll make, okay, I'll make it a quick bet. I'll, I'll give you like, if you guys got a Venmo, you guys use Venmo in the UK. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You do? Mm-hmm. All right, fine. I'll give you twenty bucks if uh, if uh, if if Hillary Clinton doesn't like drop her name in the hat in twenty twenty four. Just remind me that. Just bring me this up to me after like four years again. <laughs> well, uh, luckily we're all going to be dead by then anyway, so it's it's fine. Um, Oil's going to collapse. Okay, within four years as well. I I also predict that Saudi Arabia will collapse. It it will become like uh, Syria. It will become like uh, yeah, like Venezuela, like that, that kind of situation. But it will be like a lot more people being shot in the streets. Wow. Oh, yeah. It's already it's already proven. Like Saudi Arabia peaked oil, and uh, like the oil, even though gas prices are higher than ever, like the their, the value of oil they can't they can't pump fast enough. Or they have to, you know, they have to pump more. They have to be, um, they have to do much more, like you know, costly things to pump more oil out of the ground in Saudi Arabia. So, um, within four years, Saudi Arabia will will be a fucking disaster. Well, noted. Um, j- just just while we're on twenty twenty four, I did actually Google while we we're speaking Hillary Clinton twenty twenty four, and I managed to find an absolute terrifyingly stupid website called uh, future.fandom.com. And it's uh-huh. basically presented the future as it's already happened. So in, in this reality, Hillary Clinton actually won 2016 and 2020. And in 2024, Marco Rubio has beaten Julio Castro to win the election. So um, that's already happened, apparently. So uh, that's, uh, yeah, looks like looks like, uh, looks like like we've already had a Hillary Someone, someone posted, I'm on Google. I use Google in America in California. 
And yeah. could Hillary Clinton run for president in 2024, Cora? And I, she's illegible. Well, she yeah. It's not likely, but but yeah. yeah. But, uh, <laughs> I, have, I have a gut feeling she's going to try to run, put her name in the hat in 2024. Well, I mean, Toby and I will be voting for Nixon either way, so it doesn't really matter from our oh, perspective. Oh, shit. October 1st, 2019, this is a Vanity, Vanity Fair article. Bannon, Steve Bannon predicts Hillary Clinton will run in 2020. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, to be the dark horse. All right. Bit, bit late now. Okay. Uh, bringing it back to Vice then, are, do we have any more thoughts on the film, either on its actual depiction or on perhaps the... I mean, there's one kind of easy perspective to look at the, this as this is kind of a preemptive film on... Trump to some extent with regards uh, to the, the use of this uh, unitary executive theory and this kind of overreach of power, etc. I, I mean, it's you know it's a very easy comparison to make. But do, do we think that uh, we're going to see similar films on the Trump presidency? Who will play Trump? That's a good question. I hope to God it's not Alec Baldwin. So, well, I, I think, mean, I think Baldwin will play Trump. Oh. <laughs> I mean, I mean, the, do you guys like his impression? I think it's worse. It hurts America. <laughs> yeah it's just really bad it's not like it's a really bad impression it's oh, i think God. he will pair his impression down for for the biopic but i think i think he would do that if if the script came in front of him that would be that would be something it also depends what type of film they make as well whether or not they go for this i mean people have said this vice film is essentially just an extended snl skit and i do wonder whether or not they do something similar for the trump presidency or whether or not they try and make it a bit more serious I, I no don't... trump is too he's not cheney trump is too important like trump <laughs> is like he's like half like gatsby half Gollum. like he's one of the most important <laughs> characters in, in american history like you can't you can't give him a, a satire it's, it's gonna be one of the well oh. <laughs> okay, so what's what's Corbyn's position again? He's like uh, prime minister. Yeah, he, he Corbyn wants to be prime minister. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, he's not prime minister. He's not prime minister. <laughs> uh, no, no. If this was um after the election, that's going to be in a month's time. He will be prime minister. So. Uh, uh. <laughs> so, well, so how much of being like being an American? It's it's really cool because we could totally flex on like not caring. That's the thing about being an American. We just don't care about others, pol- other politics. Everyone knows who George. Like, you guys are British kids. You guys been to America ever, ever at all? Nope, never. <laughs> I, I've, I've, I've been. Where we're, we're at? New York. Where'd you visit? I was at Connecticut and New York. How'd you like it? How'd you like it? How'd you like the Northeast? Well, I I have to say that being in the New Jersey suburbs, being in Connecticut and being in New York, it's not very it wasn't very different from mm-hmm. uh, England and I would also say that I quite liked the sort of um, you know, like, so I feel like Connecticut is just like, it's, it's like um, Seattle almost okay. it's a sort of like Appalachian like cool, it's very like London it's very much like London. Wait, so how old were you? What was your year, like age gap and like what what was the length of time I was from? Oh, it was like two weeks. Two weeks, and then like you were, and how old were you? Nine. Now, okay. Yeah, because I was gonna take it. I would take you out to go shoot guns if you're in, even in California. I'll find a way. <laughs> I'll find a way to take you out to shoot guns in California. Uh, that's an invitation. Yeah. So you can, could. Can so we? Like, do the... I, I I haven't even been to like Pennsylvania or like I. I well, let's just I skip it. Been out... California. 
Yeah, I, I've been to Canada as well. But I, I haven't been, like, outside of that area. You just like the cold? Yeah, I don't, I don't know what it is. I mean, is it... Yeah, well, shall, shall we continue on Toby's adventures, or shall we uh, look ahead? We should, okay. we should, yeah, we should, I think we should summarize. I would say, um, okay, for, the, for Cheney, the, there's three be- um, documentaries more informative and less, like, politically skewed than, uh, than Vice. Mm-hmm. And I would have to say it's gonna be like to to get in, to get more involved with it. Okay, maybe this it is like maybe the documentaries themselves are politically slanted. Doesn't matter. They're still more informative either way. So let's do Enron, the greatest, the smartest guys in the room to get into the whole Enron scandal and the energy. You know the yeah, um, the, and how you know China is sort of involved pulled into that, and then uh, the Iraq documentary, most excellent documentary, most important documentary. No End in Sight, released in 2007 by Charles Ferguson, and uh, Iraq for Sale, The War Profiteers by Robert Greenwald. And I think we have to say that this this film is very ambitious, by the way. You yeah. Know, there's, there's a lot of images, and it, and what it tries to do is, it, it in within the editing room, it tries to piece together a lot of things, bring together a lot of things, whether it's torture, whether it's the focus groups, you know, it's 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 really it's it's almost like an Adam Curtis thing, and it and it and it's quite more than it. it while it lacks what it lacks in linearity, it's it, it is quite poetic, and it does make a lot of good use of music as well. I think. Yeah, but it, I think but it's a classic K film. In that yeah, sense. I think yeah, exactly. It's a classic K film, but I think where it fails is that it it's it's too messy. And it, and there's it, no clear it, narrative through there's to no it. Clear, there's Wait, no so clear narrative. This, did, you, did you guys watch uh, 2008? So 10 years before this, guess what? You know, Josh Brolin played George mm-hmm. W. Bush in the movie W. Yep. Remember W? What, did, you guys, did you guys actually watch it or is it, was it any better? Because I didn't actually watch it. I saw it and I'd say I wasn't a huge fan of it, although it was. What like, is that? Is that an Oliver Stone movie? Yeah, it's the Oliver Stone movie from 2008. I, I do remember seeing it. I didn't particularly enjoy it. Stone from is so arrogant, isn't he? <laughs> <laughs> he I love the way you said down that he put it under stones. Like it's like he's he's writing history again. Uh, yeah, just like JFK and you got fucking JFK. W right in there. He has Nick he has Jones. you guys know you know what I found out like you know it was only only film recently I have just like immense respect for him though, regardless of how fucked up his movies are, just how weird it is. Like, you know, just like not historically accurate. Or whatever, but besides Platoon, I think a lot of Vietnam veterans had a reaction to uh, Platoon for how what it was. It was completely fictional. It's not you know not based on a true story or anything particular. But a lot of you know Vietnam veteran like grunt units said that 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 movie got it right um, in a lot of ways. Although like Stone but, is quite, he's like very impressionistic. Like he his films are not like obviously they're they're researched to a point, but his films are, are really about his feelings. And yeah. I think Adam McKay could probably learn from watching those those movies. Now I think I um I believe he has a he has a Korean wife, which always kind of appeals to me, right? He has a <laughs> I think his daughters, or maybe no, I think he's he, I know okay, I know Steven Seagal's wife is Mongolian. I think maybe I think maybe um uh Oliver Stone's wife has a Korean wife, but then I think he married another Mongolian woman, but he has like a half Mongolian daughter. <laughs> Or half Korean daughter, or whatever, and and uh, he was a, he assigned Putin as his godfather, as her godfather. Really? <laughs> yeah, I gotta look this up again. But yeah, that's that's. I mean, I knew about the Stephen 
I knew about Steven Seagal, who is basically sort of Putin's right-hand man to some extent, at least in, in sort of media appearances. I didn't know anything about uh, Oliver Stone's connections. Oh, Oliver Stone is all, all about... Uh, he made a documentary on Putin and interviewed him. And, like, Hollywood hates him for, like, softballing him over, like, Trump's election and all this Why shit. Why is it that when I think of Steven Seagal, I also think of Oliver Stone? <laughs> I think because they're both, like, half-Jewish bro-y guys, though. Yeah, yeah, they, exactly, yeah. They're both... It's not because I think it's because like they're both like you would ex- expect you know like the the stereotypical Jewish liberal guy, and then you have a guy like Oliver Stone who like literally volunteered for Vietnam. I mean, yes, he, he has he does have liberal leftist kind of sensibilities and views, but he's a tough like he's you know he's just and like he's also John weird. Miles. So, so it's really weird, but a tough <laughs> yeah, guy. Just live, live yeah, yeah, weird. Like, like and that, Steven, Steven Seagal is also just like a weird half Jewish guy that's also yeah. <laughs> really weird. Because they're actually half Jewish. Their mother, they weren't, uh, they weren't, uh, their their mothers weren't Jewish. They were more like they just had like a really alpha male Jewish dude guy <laughs> who like married, you know, like Gentile like white women, and then just like fuck it, and it's like um, that's actually one the one true fact is Oliver Stone lost his virginity. To a prostitute that his dad rented for her. <laughs> cool. Wow. Yeah, and I swear to God, I'm not even making this up. You guys could like look it up. That's. <laughs> well, I, we should probably wrap this up before we get into an actual episode just on sort of half Jewish fathers. Uh, but uh, <laughs> yeah, uh... we should do that maybe next time. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, any any final thoughts on Vice, Toby? I thought you needed a Jewish mother to be Jewish. Yeah, sure, that's true. <laughs> but that's why that's I, I say they're half Jewish. Got to have they got dads. <laughs> this is like a whole separate conversation. Uh, okay, uh, well, thank you guys, uh, Tail, Toby. Thank you so much for joining me. I honestly wasn't sure where we'd be going with this film uh, review, and I can honestly say that we didn't go where I expected we would. So uh, <laughs> it's been it's been a lot of fun, and I've googled some things I was not expecting to Google. Uh, from Tail, Toby, and um, ha- half of Hollywood, apparently. Uh, thank you very much for listening to the show, and uh, we'll have a, a new episode of Impressions of America with you in the near future. Thank you. Goodbye. Thank you. Thank you for having me.